Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. This morning we're going to be considering uh, one of the so-called Beatitudes that's found at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. I was told in seminary by one of my professors that one should not preach on just one Beatitude because the Beatitudes form a collective unit. I did not agree with that at the time that I heard it. Uh, I would affirm, however, that the Beatitudes do form a single unit. Uh, Basically, what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is he's painting a composite portrait of what it means to be a child or a citizen in the kingdom of God. Citizens of that kingdom, children of that kingdom, display these kinds of characteristics mentioned in the Beatitudes. Furthermore, I would affirm that Jesus teaches these Beatitudes in a very intentional order, that there's a progression to these Beatitudes, so the later Beatitudes actually are built upon and follow from the preceding Beatitudes. But I didn't agree that with that when my professor said it, and I still don't agree with it, and in order to demonstrate that conviction, I'm going to preach on just one Beatitude this morning, and that's going to be the fourth Beatitude, which found in the sixth verse of Matthew chapter 5. So if you have found Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, as is our custom, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, although you will not be standing for very long. We're only going to be reading this one verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, the fourth Beatitude. And we read there, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. I have a confession to make. I do sometimes experience intense cravings. I don't know when these cravings are going to hit, but when they do hit, I pretty much have to stop what I'm doing and try to satisfy these cravings. I have intense cravings for pastries. Specifically, I have intense cravings for donuts. Uh, I apologize to you if you haven't had breakfast yet and you have to look at this picture for a while. But I do have intense cravings for donuts. Now, they're not as intense as they used to be when I was in my 20s. Uh, one time, early on in my marriage to Stacy, Stacy told me that she wasn't feeling very well and wanted to run out uh, to the store to get some medicine. And at that time, we were living in a duplex on the corner of Wheeling and Riggin. And so the most logical thing would have been to run down to the marsh and pick up some medicine there for my ailing wife. But there was a problem with that. And the problem was, just around that time, I was really, really hungry for a donut. And I don't care for Marsh donuts that much. I apologize if that offends you if you work in Marsh Bakery. Uh, I'm sorry. I just, I don't care for Marsh donuts. At that time, I would have preferred a Meyer donut. So I actually dragged my wife all the way from our house out to Meyer so I could get a donut and she could get her medicine. And she's probably wondering the entire time. Why are we driving all the way out here when I'm sick when he could have just gone right down the road? Well, what she didn't know is that I was hungry for a donut. Now, I don't share that story as a model or an example of how to be a sensitive or loving husband. Uh, certainly, I, rest assured, I would never do that today. If that were to happen today, I would obviously go to the Walgreens on the corner of McGalliard and Morrison, drop my wife off, and then go to Con Cannons because those are the really good donuts. I wouldn't do that either. I tell you that story because we all know how intense appetites can be. 
uh, by God's providence and by his blessing and favor in our lives, we as a people, collectively, I don't know of anyone that would experience hunger and thirst as a way of life. But we do all know what it is to be hungry. And we all know what it is to be thirsty. And we know how intense that can be. And Jesus talks about hunger and thirst in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And he pronounces a blessing upon those who hunger and thirst. And this blessing is part of a series of eight blessings pronounced again at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 uh, is the Sermon on the Mount. And these pronouncements are referred to as the Beatitudes. Now, the designation Beatitude actually comes from a Latin term, a Latin translation. Uh, the word is Beatus, uh, which translated blessed or fortunate. And this is a translation of the Greek term used here in Matthew's Gospel, which is Makarios, which I believe that's the name of the Aguilar's boat that they take out on the Chesapeake Bay. They've named their boat Makarios, which means blessed or happy. And so we're going to this morning just consider this fourth beatitude. Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst. And I have four points that I want to walk through this morning related to this. First, I want to look at the nature of our hunger and thirst. Secondly, the object of our hunger and thirst. Third, and this is what we'll spend the most time on, the indications of our hunger and thirst. And I want to conclude with some words about the satisfaction of our hunger and thirst. So these are the four points that we're going to treat, beginning with the nature of our hunger and thirst. There are a number of things to notice when we're considering the terms that Jesus uses here in this fourth beatitude. Certain things we need to notice. The first thing is that hunger and thirst are terms that indicate lack. Hunger and thirst are terms that indicate lack. We get hungry because we lack essential energy and essential nutrients that our body needs. And we get thirsty because we lack essential fluid that our bodies need. Hunger is a physiological mechanism that's triggered by our need for food. And thirst is a physiological mechanism that's triggered by our need for fluid. And so these things are essential to our survival, food and fluid, essential to our survival. They are not luxuries, they're needs. The second thing that we can notice is that our hunger and thirst must be remedied by its source outside ourselves. They must be remedied by a source outside of ourselves. We cannot access within our own bodies the energy and the fluids that we need for survival, at least not for very long. Our bodies will do that for a period of time, but will eventually die. We are dependent upon outside sources for the satisfaction of our hunger and the satisfaction of our thirst. And third, there seems to be an intensity and urgency reflected in Jesus' words here. Because notice, Jesus uses two terms to describe this. He doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger or blessed are those who thirst. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Jesus is not putting forth here, apparently, some kind of mild preference. He's putting forth here an intense need that we have. And so the nature of our hunger and thirst is characterized by this, lack, dependence, and intensity. That's the nature of our hunger and our thirst. But this hunger and thirst is spiritual in nature. And we know that because Jesus doesn't pronounce a blessing merely upon those who hunger and thirst. 
He pronounces a blessing upon those who hunger and thirst for something specific. And so it's good for us to consider. Second, then, the object of our hunger and thirst. What is this something specific? Well, many of you have young babies, nursery age babies. And when babies get hungry and thirsty, they scream and they yell and they cry until you give them what they want. Now, at times, you don't want to give them what they want right at that moment. And so what do you do? You try to pacify them. But there's sometimes where infants will not be pacified. They're hungry, they're thirsty, and they're desperate for something specific. And they will cry out for it until they get it. And what Jesus is saying here in this fourth beatitude is that the children of the kingdom have a spiritual hunger and thirst for something specific. And it's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the object of our hunger and our thirst. But we need, all of us need to be clear about what the implications of Jesus' teaching are here. Whether we're believers this morning and have trusted in Jesus, or whether you're an unbeliever this morning, you have to understand the implications of what Jesus is, is teaching here. Because just like food and water, when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the implication is that we lack righteousness. That's why we're hungering and thirsting for it. Because we lack it. We don't have it. By nature, we are not righteous in our fallen condition. And secondly, just like food and water, this righteousness that we need has to be obtained from an outside source. We cannot by ourselves in our sinful condition manufacture it. We must obtain this righteousness from an outside source. And that outside source we know is Jesus. But the other thing to note as well, just like food and drink, this righteousness is an intense spiritual need that we have. Not only do we lack it and not only do we need it from an outside source, this righteousness is demanded to stand before a holy God and live. So those implications are very important. All people made in God's image have this spiritual hunger and thirst. All of us have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean we're all seeking to satisfy that hunger and thirst in the right ways. We can spend our money on that which is not bread, and we can thirst for that which will not satisfy. And there's all kinds of ways we can seek to satisfy our emptiness, the emptiness that we all sense, uh, the loneliness, the void, the hole in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, th think about the, the first couple of Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. There is an emptiness. There is a poverty. There is a bankruptcy that we have. Blessed are those who mourn. There's a pain that we want to mask. We can try all kinds of things to mask that and deal with that. We can turn to drugs. We can turn to sex and pleasure or entertainment. We can turn to power, influence, money, popularity. We can turn to relationships to fill that emptiness. Marriage, children. But the only thing that can bring us this righteousness, it's only righteousness that will bring us this blessedness. And the only thing that will bring us that righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. It's the only way that we can find this righteousness and be blessed and happy because he is the bread of life and he is living water. Now, isn't it interesting also to note 
that Jesus doesn't say blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. Because we all want to be happy. In fact, when we search for all of this, this stuff that will fill the void, we're wanting to be happy. We all want to be happy, but Jesus doesn't say blessed or happy are you when you hunger and thirst for happiness. And the reason for this is because it seems that happiness is a secondary result of a primary condition. Happiness is a secondary result of a primary condition, which simply means this. You can't start with happiness. Happiness results from something primary, a condition that must be met before happiness can be enjoyed. And that condition which must be met in order for us to be happy as creatures made in God's image is righteousness. You can't be truly happy as you're designed to be apart from righteousness. And so if you aim for righteousness, if you, foc- I mean, if you aim for happiness and you focus on happiness, it will prove elusive because it's a secondary result of something else that has to be met. It will prove elusive. As, by way of illustration, when I was in college, I worked third shift at a grocery store in Angola, Indiana, not Africa. Um, and in this grocery store, third shift, I would have to report to work at 11 o'clock at night. If you don't know what third shift is, you work through the night. I went to work at 11 o'clock at night and got done with work at 7 o'clock in the morning. And sometimes I'd get to bed late that afternoon and have to get up for work that evening. And when I got to bed late, I'd be worried about getting enough sleep. So you lay down in bed, and I'd look at the clock, and I'd say to myself, okay, if I can get to sleep right now, I'll still get five hours. You know what happens when you do that, right? You can't get to sleep. (laughs) It would ruin my sleep because you can't focus on sleep when you're trying to get to sleep. If you focus on sleep, it will prove elusive. Your focus has to be somewhere else. And you can't focus on happiness if you want to experience happiness. You have to focus on righteousness. If you want to be happy, here's what you have to do. Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all else will be added to you. That's the path to happiness. There is no happiness apart from righteousness. So happy, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But how do you know if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness? How do you know? What are some indications of hungering and thirsting? That's the third thing we want to consider. The most obvious way to tell if someone is hungry or thirsty is if they're eating or drinking. (laughs) That will tell you that they're hungry or thirsty. Or if they're not eating and drinking, they're looking for something to eat and drink because they're hungering and thirsting. But what would that look like spiritually? What does that look like spiritually? Well, let's work our way through some of these indications of hunger and thirst for righteousness. One indication of hunger and thirsting for righteousness is that you desire to worship God. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you desire to worship God. You enjoy praising him in word and in deed. You enjoy worshiping him individually and in private and corporately. Corporate worship on the Lord's Day is one of the highlights of your week. To enter into corporate worship with the body of Christ and exalt the name of the Lord. And when you can't do that, you're disappointed Because this is where you most want to be at this moment in time on the Lord's Day if you're hungry and thirsting for righteousness. And when you can't spend time in private worship and private devotion through the week, you're disappointed because that's what you long for. 
Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is hungering and thirsting for worship of the one true God. And a related indication is a hunger and thirst to commune with God in prayer. A hunger and thirst to commune with God in prayer. Prayer is a precious time for you. And so you seek it, you pursue it, and you guard it. You don't want things to interrupt that because you long to commune with God and you long to know his righteousness. And so these first two indicators are are excellent in terms of assessing how hungry and thirsty you are. Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Do you desire to worship God and make that a priority, individually and corporately? And do you delight in prayer? A third indication of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is having a strong appetite for God's word. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will hunger and thirst for the word of God. Do you love God's word? And do you seek occasion to feed upon it? Do you spend time daily in the word of God, being nourished and fed and having your thirst satisfied? Now, at this point, I mean, I need to say that I recognize that some people are more inclined to reading than others. And some people read more than others. And as important as consistent daily Bible reading is for all Christians, it's not going to look the same across the board. I recognize that, and I think there's validity to that. So you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't read in general that you're not spending an hour a day reading God's word and somebody else's and somehow you're, you're inferior for that reason. Um, that, that's not necessarily the case because there are other indicators of hunger and thirsting for righteousness other than just reading God's word. For instance, do you rejoice to hear solid teaching from God's word? Do you rejoice to hear sermons that proclaim the goodness and truth of the gospel? Do you take advantage of Bible studies? We have men's Bible studies here. We have women's Bible studies here. Do you take advantage of those as an expression of your hunger and thirst for righteousness? And perhaps a really good barometer to measure your hunger and thirst for righteousness here this morning is to assess your commitment to to attending Sunday school. That can be a really good barometer. Do you hunger and thirst for God's word to the point that you'll be here another hour after worship ends, before worship starts, just to feed upon the word of God? Will you prioritize that as an expression of your hunger and thirst? Now, I recognize that there are obstacles in attending Sunday school, particularly with a three-service schedule. Uh, I recognize that some people can't attend Sunday school at all because they're here for all three services helping lead worship, or they have to be helping with sound, or they're in the nursery, or they're on diaconal duty. There are all kinds of reasons that people are unable to attend Sunday school on a regular basis. I also know how difficult it is if you have nursery-age children in your family to make worship a priority and attend Sunday school because that becomes very demanding for your children and on your schedule when your children have to be in the nursery for about three hours. I mean, I recognize there are obstacles. And I also recognize that once the three-service schedule stops, Lord willing, sometime next year, that the dynamics of that change. But you'll still have to assess, am I hungry and thirsty enough for God's word that I will commit to attending Sunday school? Because, I mean, let's face it. I think we would all agree that while our services are well attended, as a whole, our Sunday school classes in your life are not heavily attended. They're not packed. And again, there, there could be all kinds of reasons for that. And I'm not trying to be judgmental 
I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to single anybody out because I don't know who attends Sunday school. I know who attends my Sunday school, but there's another class that meets across the hall. I don't monitor attendance in that class. So I don't know who's in those classes. So I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. And I, I, I want you to hear a tone, not of condemnation, but I want you to hear a tone of being challenged. I want to challenge you very firmly to assess if you don't regularly attend Sunday school, why is that? Why don't you? Now you could say, well, I don't get that much out of it. Well, you know that might say more about you than it says about the Sunday school class. <laughs> I don't get that much out of it. And it also forgets that you can actually contribute to a Sunday school class. It's not just getting things out of it. You can share your wisdom. Be in dialogue and discussion with a group. You're contributing to that dynamic. So it's not just something you get. It's something you can give. And I also know that I can't point to chapter and verse that says you must go to Sunday school. You're breaking commandments if you don't go to Sunday school. I recognize that. But, but here's, the, here's, here's the scenario. Oh, you mean I can come to worship and I can actually spend some additional time around other believers in fellowship around the word of God and continue to be fed? Ah, no, thanks. I don't want to do that. I'll just go get coffee. I mean, again, why would you want to do that? That's the question. It's not, am I commanded to go to Sunday school? I think the default question is, why would you not if you're hungering and thirsting for God's word? It might just be if you're not committed to Sunday school that you're just not that hungry or you're not that thirsty. And again, that's, that's a challenging statement. It's not a condemning statement. You have to search your heart and allow the Spirit to search your heart. And if that's the case, you're just not that hungry and not that thirsty, you need to repent and ask the Spirit to increase your hunger and thirst for righteousness and for God's Word. I have a few more things to say about this. Um, so I, I know I'm going to step on toes, and maybe it'll just make you happier when Bob gets back. So <laughs> You don't have to listen to me say these things. Uh, but, but I know I'm going to step on toes. But what about how we help our children develop an appetite for God's word? Parents, I mean, if you're not making Sunday school a priority for yourselves, do you really think that your children are going to grow up and prioritize that for themselves when they're making their own decisions? When you've modeled for them that, Nah, sustained time of instruction in God's word on the Lord's day is not that important. I mean, is, is that what we want our kids to learn? Are they going to grow up and hunger and thirst for learning God's word? You know, as we move to three services, uh, the session recognizes that it's very possible for families to arrange the day this way. They'll attend worship, second service, mom and dad will, and their children will attend Sunday school during second service. And then when the second service time is over, family leaves. Now, when we adopted this schedule as a session, we knew that that was a danger. <laughs> but we do see it as a danger. We don't want that to be a routine practice. And certainly, I understand how sometimes that has to be the way the day flows because of schedules. But to, in your mindset, simply adopt that as a routine practice is probably not communicating and nurturing habits in your children that you want them to develop because they're going to conclude certain things by that approach. Uh, they, they're potentially going to conclude that this worship service isn't for them. 
that Sunday school is for them, but worship is actually for grown-ups. That's why I'm not in there. But that's not the case. Children, if you're in here this morning, uh, junior high, senior high, younger than that, I want you to know that this worship service is for you. We want to engage your heart in singing praise to the Lord, in confessing sin. The assurance of pardon, if you've put your faith in Jesus, is for you. The time for tithes and offerings as an act of worship is for you. I know you probably don't make all that much, but the act of giving is for you. The word of God is for you to feed on. And we want you to be in here and feel part of our worship services. Another thing, another mentality it might develop is that Sunday school is not something grown-ups do. That that's something for kids. And so when, when I get older, Sunday school is not going to be all that important to me. And again, I understand that there are reasons for not attending Sunday school, and there's no commandment for it. But do we want to cultivate in our children an attitude that they will feast and partake of God's word as much as they can and where they can? And of course, I know that, that, that living a godly life is more than study, more than sitting in a classroom, more than a, more than a worship service. But you're already here. <laughs> it's a matter of walking down getting up maybe a little bit earlier, scheduling the day a little bit differently to prioritize that. And so what I would want to encourage you to do as we go to three services as families, if, you, if you're part of a family, I would want to encourage you, and even if you're not a part of a family, I want to encourage everybody here to commit to attending worship and Sunday school as much as you're able to, to commit to doing that. And I don't want you to commit to doing it because you feel guilty I want you to do it because you hunger and thirst for righteousness and that you want your kids to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to hunger and thirst for God's word. Uh, we have a Sunday school class starting next Sunday for adults. Uh, Dan Perkins teaching a class on Christian apologetics. I encourage all of you to attend again as you're able. A fourth indication of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a desire to live a righteous life. A desire to live a righteous life. And after all, this is what being righteous means. Doing what is right. Living a righteous life. So you can't hunger and thirst for righteousness and not strive after obedience. You can't do that. So it's not just a matter of being in God's word that can help you assess how much you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's a matter of how much you're being governed by God's word that helps you assess how much you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Here's another challenging question to ask yourself. When was the last time you modified your behavior or adjusted an attitude because of your own time in the word or hearing someone else teach or preach God's word? That you actually change the way you think and the way you live as a result of hearing that. Because if you're hungry and thirsting for righteousness, that will happen. You'll repent of sin and strive after obedience. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is wanting to live a more holy life and wanting to be more like Jesus. Wanting to be more like Jesus to your spouse, to your children, to your coworkers, to your friends, to your neighbors, and taking steps to do that. That's what hungering and thirsting for righteousness will look like. And finally, if you're hungry and thirsting for righteousness, you'll avoid that which ruins your appetite. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll avoid what will ruin that. For example, the best pizza I've ever had 
is located about an hour north of here in Fort Wayne, Indiana at a locally owned pizza place called Uli's. It's the best pizza I've ever had. I've been to New York, had pizza there. Been to Chicago, had pizza there. The best pizza, I'm telling you, is an hour north of here. Place called Uli's, located US 24 Homestead Road. Uh, they have what's called an Uli's Big Ten Deluxe. It's a 10 pound pizza that's cut into 10 pieces, so each piece is a pound. Now, I may be preaching on gluttony sometime in the future, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm talking about pizza, talking about donuts, I'm not going to do that this morning. But Uli's pizza is fantastic. Now, I don't get to eat it very often. But when there's days that I know I'm going to get to eat an Uli's pizza, you know what I do? I'm very cautious and guarded what I eat before then. And you know why, don't you? Because I don't want anything to ruin my appetite for that Uli's pizza. And if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you'll want to avoid that, which will ruin your appetite for it. And what will most ruin your appetite is sin and sin patterns in your life. Sin will ruin your appetite for righteousness. Sin is like salt water, isn't it? I mean, it looks like it will satisfy. It looks like it's the remedy. But then when you, when you take it, you realize it's not. It actually only makes the problem worse, creates more emptiness, and eventually destroys. So don't spend your money on that which isn't bread and your labor on that which doesn't satisfy. Fight against sin, avoid it as something that will ruin your appetite. So in summary, if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you desire to worship you delight in prayer. You have a strong appetite for God's word. And that's reflected in being committed to reading God's word on a daily basis. Committed to Sunday school, Bible studies, listening to broadcasts, listening to internet sermons. That you're feeding on God's word because you want to understand and apply it more and more to your life. It means striving to live a, life, a righteous life and living in obedience and avoiding that which will ruin your appetite. Blessed are you, says Jesus, if you do these things. And you're blessed because there's a promise attached to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's a promise of satisfaction. So I want to conclude with the satisfaction of our hunger and thirst. What will satisfy your hunger and your thirst? What will satisfy your need for righteousness? Well, you can find satisfaction only in Jesus and in his righteousness. And this is a Jesus who is received by faith and a Jesus who is known and experienced more and more in worship, in prayer, in being in the word, and striving after obedience. It's how we grow in Jesus and grow in that righteousness. But it is fair to ask, when does this satisfaction happen? When are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness actually satisfied? Well, there's a sense in which if you've put your faith in Jesus this morning, you're already completely satisfied because you possess as much righteousness as you can possibly possess by virtue of your faith in Jesus and his perfect righteousness imputed to you. You can't have any more righteousness than what is yours by faith in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. But yet, in our experience as children, as growing children, we know that we hunger and thirst to experience and give evidence to that righteousness in our heart and life more. And so we're still being satisfied in that sense. And we await that day when that righteousness will become a reality in our experience, when we stand in glory and we're spotless and we're clean. 
And so the question of when is this promise of satisfaction actually realized, perhaps we could say it like this. You have been satisfied in your justification. You are being satisfied in your sanctification. And you will be satisfied in glorification. It's all of those things in different ways. But this promise and this blessing is given only to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness this morning? Because if you're not, it means you're either dead, because dead people don't hunger and thirst, or it means that you're sick. You're spiritually sick. I mean, one of the most common symptoms of physical illness is a loss of appetite. And that's true not only physically, it's true spiritually. And again, I, I don't want to be harsh. I'm not wanting to be critical. I don't want to be condemning. I want you to be happy. And I want your children to be happy. And what Jesus says here is happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But what if you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness this morning? What, what do you do then? Let me just throw out a couple things. First, pray. Pray that the Spirit would give you an increasing hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because it's only by the Spirit's work in your heart that you're going to be able to experience this hunger and thirst and longing for God. So pray to the Lord to give you the Spirit. It's a prayer he delights to answer. And the second thing is recognize that what indicates hunger and thirst also will increase them. So if you want to increase your hunger and thirst, devote yourself to worship, corporately and, and privately. Devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to the Word and instruction in the Word. Repent of your sins. Avoid those patterns in your life and strive after obedience. These things will increase your appetite. This is how you will taste and see that the Lord is good. That's how it will happen. And so recognize that what indicates hunger and thirst also increases them. Have you ever listened to a certain kind of music long enough that you actually started liking it when you didn't at first? It's kind of what is being said here. Or maybe even a better example is, have you ever thought you weren't hungry until you smelled food? Or until you started eating food and after you took about three bites, you felt like, man, I'm starving. I didn't even feel hungry five seconds ago. Have you ever experienced that? Or is that just me? I've experienced that. Again, the same thing is kind of being said here. So seek after these things if you want to increase your hunger and your thirst. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, I think all of us would say, we don't hunger and thirst like we should. We often spend our money on what's not bread. And we're not where we should be. But listen, if you're hungering to hunger, if you're thirsting to thirst, and if you desire to desire Jesus more, those are good things. And that's oftentimes where we are in our sanctification, isn't it? We know that our heart's desires are not where they should be. But we desire our heart's desires to be where they should be. And that's a good thing because it's evidence of the Spirit's work in our heart in our life. I think most of us can very easily relate to this prayer by A.W. Tozer. Some of you have probably read some stuff by Tozer, a well-known Christian author. Tozer prayed this, O God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made thirsty still. Is that your prayer? If it is, may God grant it. And may he give you a full measure of the Spirit to help you hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
For happy are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for supplying the satisfaction of our spiritual need and the righteousness of Jesus. Help us by your spirit to hunger and thirst for that. Help us to to long to worship, to delight in prayer, to be in your word, to commit to being nurtured in it, and to want to respond to in obedience as we put to death the deeds of the flesh. We know that we need your spirit to do this. So help us to do it as we long for you more in Jesus' name. Amen.